Success Beneath the Surface, hosted by Deborah Fell, Managing Partner at Chief Outsiders. Deborah provides insights specifically for CEOs from growth-oriented companies. I'm here with Amy Bielski, who's CEO of Ripple Effect, and she's here today to share her story, tell us about her company, and also what she values, which is one of the main reasons why I wanted to interview Amy here today. So Amy, welcome. Thank you for having me, Deborah. I appreciate it. Let's see, you're, you're president and CEO of Ripple Effect. You've got over 25 years of professional experience. You've worked a lot in complex federal projects, technology, you know, soup to nuts, even been into graphic design, communications, and I think you cover a little health policy uh, along the way. Yes. Um, and you founded the company in 2003, really after seeing so many firms prioritize profits over people. So if you could just share your story and what got you from there to where you are today. Yeah, I think it's helpful to go back towards the beginning a little bit. I was a graphic designer. I had a I went to school and got my degree in business, so I had a business mind, but my real interest was in graphic design. And then they said, there's this thing called the web. Figure it out. <laughs> so that's where I got my first job. And before you knew it, I had a large team of 35 people um, trying to figure out the web. And that is really where my career began. And I was in the middle of the dot-com era. So I learned about what is it that people value at work? How can we make them feel valued? And I, especially with my team, found that people valued learning and that people valued when they care about them. And so that's where I thought this is really the kind of company that I want to start. And often in government contracting, people are just an asset like anything else, you know, so I wanted to start create a new company with a new vision. So I went to another firm and I helped them win a large contract. And then that's when I started Ripple Effect. So before you go on, when you were in your career, like, did you reflect back on your career and say, you know, I'm seeing this, I don't like it. I think I can build a better company. Was it more on reflection after your first part of your journey, or was it literally as you were going through the day-to-day -day in your roles in companies? I think it was literally as I was going through the day-to-day, -day and you know, it was everything to how people were paid, how incentives were made, um, how time off, how difficult it was to get time off, all, all the little intrinsic things that make a person feel valued at a company. I kept running into these roadblocks, and I thought, there's got to be a different way to do this. And so you went then in the direction of founding your own company. And was it Ripple Effect from the beginning? That was your... It was Ripple Effect, yes. We were Ripple Effect Communications, but we shortened it to Ripple Effect. And a lot of our beginning work was policy work and communications work. So tell us a little bit about the nature of the company, what you do, who you serve. Yes. So we primarily serve the federal government. We also have nonprofit clients that are mission-driven, so health, science, healthcare, and other missions such as, you know, tax fraud and IRS. We work with the Future of Work and um, GSA and their, their work. So we are expanding our client base, but primarily our work is in health, science, and healthcare. So our three core areas are policy and program management, communications and outreach, and research and evaluation. So it's a lot of multidisciplinary work that requires different, real deep technical expertise. So I know when you're growing a business, 
that you're seeking clients. Uh, I get the impression for you, it's not just any client, any revenue, that you're really almost curating your clients. Is that a fair way to describe? Well, uh, you know, the client, the company started as it was just me. I was a consultant. And then it was me and Helper, me and two helpers. So we really started from the ground up. And so through that experience, I built a reputation in the industry. And my uh, business partner, Jennifer Polhouse, similarly has that reputation. So people are interested in Jennifer and myself in the business and helping them solve really complex problems. They know if they have something they can't figure out, they know who to call, which is us. So we really want to work on that hard work with our clients and be a partner uh, there's a lot of transactional work that has to be done in the government. It's necessary in any business, but we're not as interested in those type of projects. And then as you're bringing back the point about, you know, valuing your employees, how does that extend when they work within other companies? Do you feel like they sort of radiate that into whether it's government clients or commercial clients? Well, our reputation in the marketplace is definitely for excellence. And so, you know, there's been tons of studies and tons of uh, data that shows that employees who feel valued, employees that are given an opportunity to, to succeed in the workplace, they're more engaged and they deliver a better value for their customers. So, you know, we have kind of curated that atmosphere and we've done it in a very unique way because all of our policies and procedures are designed to engage the employees. Is the team aware that, the broader team, aware that, that that's literally what you wake up every day thinking about? That's literally how you design your, your policies? We have talked about it a lot in terms of our strategic plan about how we approach business. Um, it's infused in all of our policies and procedures. So one of the things we did is every policy and procedure says why we have this policy. And... Mm -hmm. I often have people who want to strip that out of all, because it's like, you could just be simpler and tell them what you want them to do. I'm like, no, I want them to know why we're doing this, why this is important. We think it makes a more involved and engaged workforce. So these are just some of the little nuanced things that we are constantly communicating to our employees, you know, why we do the things that we do and how it can add value to them. To what extent do you think it helps you grow your business or, or is it simply just in your view, the cost of doing business? Well, we have been able to attract, I think, a really unique workforce. Yeah. And so, for example, we have lots of policies about that are uh, offer flexibility. And I know a lot of caregivers, and especially women who are caregivers, appreciate that flexibility. And so we have attracted a large, very loyal, hardworking workforce that are caregivers because of that. And these are people who have produced amazing things for us and incredibly intelligent. So it really, and they've helped our business grow. So it's these little things that we do. Um, lifelong learners. We have about, you know, 35% of our staff are PhDs. We have lots of lifelong learners. Whoa. <laughs> and which means that our journey is never done. We're always improving and always making things better. Yes. And, and the curiosity and the level of, of commitment and I'll call it conscientious. I think it's more diligence, but certainly conscientiousness. But I think when I think of that PhD, and I, my husband's a PhD, and I, I can see the PhD-ness in the thoroughness, you know, in the integrity yes. behind the words matter, whether written or spoken. So I don't know as much as you know about 
PhDs, but I, I certainly can relate. So what are sort of the do's and don'ts? You don't have to name names of companies, but what is it that you've seen more specifically that just doesn't work? It may not be horrible or against the law, but it just doesn't work versus what really matters. Um, you know, I'm not sure if I know exactly what you're asking, but I know one of the things that makes our business a success mm -hmm. is how we collaborate. Mm -hmm. And people say that they have teamwork and collaboration, but you know, when you have people in very distinct disciplines like communications or policy, you have, you know, to do the complex work that we're doing at the level that we're doing it, they have to work together. Mm -hmm. We've incentivized that working together through, we have a system where people give each other kudos online. Um, we have like people share little mm -hmm. gifts with each other. We call them bananas. Mm -hmm. It's our micro bonus program. And, you know, we give awards at the end of the year for teamwork on different divisions working together. And what I see in a lot of companies is as you get a division, you have a silo. And so those silos become independent and you lose all the synergy of people working together. So I have worked very hard from day one to make sure that I'm building collaboration into the DNA of the company so that that never stops. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, through the years, been in companies that I loved and seen other companies where these kinds of things like you're describing to create collaboration or for employee satisfaction or, you know, so on and so forth are, are programs. And the problem with programs yeah. is they kind of come and go. And it's right. exciting for the moment. And then suddenly maybe a person is no longer involved and they were the key to it. So it just sort of peters out and then it's the next program. And then it seems that that sort of loses the genuine nature of it. But it sounds like you are, it, it's in the, the threads, it's in the fabric of the business. Yes, everything from micro bonuses to annual awards to policies and, you know, we all these things together is has what has made us successful. But uh, and a lot of our projects are cross disciplinary. Uh, I would say 95 percent of our projects use skills for more than one division. So what's it like managing 35 PhDs or whatever the number was that you said? Because that's describe that just a little bit. Well, I, I definitely think, you know, we have a highly educated workforce, so they are curious, they ask lots of questions, mm -hmm. they're willing to stand up and be defiant if that's mm -hmm. what it takes, mm -hmm. um, but they also, there's a, a, an integrity about it because mm -hmm. they want to make things better for, not for their own personal gain, mm -hmm. but for the betterment of the company. And now it's time for a quick break. CEOs need help growing their companies, but don't always have the time or money to hire a full-time chief marketing officer, CMO, or chief sales officer, CSO, or both. Recruiting a quality full-time executive can take months, not to mention the ongoing cost. In these challenging times, CEOs need battle-tested growth executives who can help companies successfully navigate the uncertain waters. Partner with chief outsider CMOs and CSOs who will function as strategic operators to build and execute your growth engines. And we're back. That kind of thread of moral character and wanting to make things better for better sake yeah. just makes for a very positive work environment mm -hmm. that people want to work in. Yeah, and, and just the commitment 
to even get the degree. Yes. It, it demonstrates so much. I perseverance. have perseverance. <laughs> perseverance. Yeah. So that's kind of a good indicator <laughs> yeah. when someone can persevere through, through something so challenging and then bring all of that into the workplace and into whatever the, the client efforts and needs are. And perseverance um, is the definition of being a small business owner. Yes. <laughs> we just celebrated okay. our 20th anniversary, so. <laughs> wow. Okay. So you're not a flash in the pan. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, that, that's remarkable. So that's perseverance and that that's also endurance and they all, that's, that's you carrying them on your shoulders, you know, essentially. And I suppose that at times that flips and they're carrying you on their shoulders. So teamwork's all about. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a, um, a number of long-term employees? I mean, I realize yes. people, nature of the world, they, they change jobs, they move, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, we have um, many employees who've been with us for seven, eight, nine, ten years. So they really have grown with the business. You know, when you we were as small as one person back in the day and now have 200 employees, it's a big change on the kind of skills that you need. But I think because we have hired these lifelong learners, they have learned the skills that they need to succeed at the next level. So 20 years ago, you were wearing all the hats. Yes. <laughs> So can you just kind of walk through, as you almost in reflection, how and when you sort of took one hat and put it on somebody else and took another hat and put it on somebody else? How did that go? Yeah, I think in the beginning, it was just getting uh, the work was too much for me to do. So to getting people to assist me. And then the first hat mm -hmm. I took off was the finance and accounting hat because it's uh, great to not be the person delivering the work and asking if to pay the bill. I was very happy to take that hat off, so that was next. And then uh, shortly after that, I, the next hat I took off was um, leading one of our major projects with NIH. I met someone at NIH and they said, ooh, Amy, this is a Rippler. That's who you need, you need to hire this person. That was Jennifer. And she's now a um, owner of the business. So she has a partial stake in the business. And so she's been with me for a very long time. And we are definitely a dynamic duo. We agree and disagree, but it's, that's what makes us awesome. A rippler. She's a rippler. Yes. So your clients recognize a rippler. Yes. They know the, the kind of, you know, fastidious, detail-oriented, lifelong learner, some of the things that we look for in our staff. Curious. Yeah. That's really amazing. I, I think what it takes to build a company is all the things you've just described, but there is something more. And I, you know I'm going to ask you about this. I'm just wondering what your own endurance and persistence in Taijitsu, you know, martial arts yeah. and uh, some of the, the, the weightlifting that you do. First of all, share that. You got to share now that I've let the cat out of the bag. You got to yeah. share. And, and then also what, how this relates to what you do and the, how you've built the company. Yeah. So um, my daughter was very shy when she was young. So we were trying to find something to bring her out of her shell. So we decided to learn Taijitsu together and join, we're member like 30 and 31 of a small dojo in our town. And now I'm a third degree black belt, um, about halfway towards my fourth degree. And uh, <laughs> 
it definitely teaches you patience and perseverance. That's what the Nin symbol, the symbol of the ninja is, is perseverance. Respect, um, how to respect yourself. Uh, just so many good values that I'm glad got instilled in my, both my children eventually trained. Um, but mm -hmm. it also was a great way to get stress out. <laughs> Because businesses can be stressful, um, but I also really enjoyed weightlifting. So that's something I've done for a long time. I was even an Olympic weightlifting coach for a while. So, um, remarkable. you know, that keeping that mind-body connection, I think, is important when you're under the stress of owning a business. So we spoke about this a little bit earlier, and, and we mentioned explosive moves. Yes. You know, that the, yes. that the movement is is quick and sure. Say more about that as relates to your, your business journey and growth. Yes, I think one of the ways that the company leverages me is because I am the I, often the ideas person. Um, it goes back to my graphic design idea. And so when they need someone to quickly, you know, solve a problem or fix something or come up with an out-of-the-box idea, even though nine of my ideas might be too wacky, but the 10th one is the right one. <laughs> Um, that's what they call me in for is for those kind of things. I think, you know, thinking on your feet, that's all about martial arts. Um, you know, but, but it also takes lots of preparation and discipline. You know, I've been doing this for a long time. I have lots of experience, lots of projects. So I'm able to draw upon all those to help our, our teams design their solution to the client's problems. Yeah. And, and our listeners are going to be able to learn a lot more about your company and how to reach you following this podcast. That's great. Um, but, but this is a team and- We're always uh, hiring. And endurance. Uh, and of course, <laughs> excellent. Um, and sounds like actually a wonderful place to work. I'm wondering if sort of in, in our last part of the discussion here, if you could share some advice for other CEOs who may be building their business or they may feel that they built it, but they want to go to the next level. Um, we've got, you know, certainly economic uncertainty and there, there's a lot that's written and, and spoken about that. There's also this piece around employee, employee retention, yes. you know, getting yeah. and keeping your, your best people and getting other great people uh, but, and perhaps not enough spoken about that. But whatever range of advice, if you just have some thoughts to leave listeners with. I think... In our current current market, you know, things like an economic downturn or changes in the, per, like people leaving companies and joining, you know, we just survived the great resignation, things like that, can make business owners uncertain about what's happening because it's immediate and it's in our face right now. But I think it is incumbent upon the business owners to think long-term. So we have to think beyond the immediate crisis to what is the long-term strategy for the business and adapt, but not waver. So I would say that's the advice is you have a long-term plan, keep on that long-term plan, know how to adapt, but don't play for the short-term game. It's never a way to win. Yeah, and that is a great end note, sort of keeping your eyes on the horizon. Yes. The destination. Wonderful. Um, thank you so much, Amy. Really great words of wisdom. It's great talking and to you. Great and great learning more about you and all the different interests that you have and and your absolute respect for your team and desire to serve your your clients. 
to the letter, to, yes. to all the way to the end. So um, I'll say to, to my audience, if you liked what you heard today, please subscribe and review in your favorite podcast apps and subscribe to the Chief Outsiders YouTube channel. Thank you, and I'll see you next time. Ripple Effect is an award-winning woman-owned consulting company that works with federal, private, and nonprofit clients to support policies and programs that shape our nation. From healthcare implementation to scientific research, Ripple's ever-growing customer base includes the National Institute of Health, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the Health Resources and Services Administration, and the Department of Defense's Navy, Air Force, and Army branches. With a focus on operational excellence, Ripple Effect has gained national recognition, including four consecutive years on the Inc. 5000 list and a 2022 Moxie Award for Boldness in Business. With over 200 researchers, scientists, policy and data analysts, and strategic communicators, Ripple Effect accomplishes its mission of working smarter and performing better by always adapting, learning, and finding efficient ways to meet changing needs of their clients. Work smarter, perform better. Learn more at rippleeffect.com. Be sure to subscribe in all your favorite podcast apps. Just look for Success Beneath the Surface. Chief Outsiders, part-time growth executives with full-time results.